welcome back to another episode of the Count to Ten podcast. Today we have a very special guest on one of my favorite people in the world. We're talking about invisible disabilities today on our episode and your hostess with the mostest actually has one herself. For those of y'all who don't know, I have ADHD. So this episode specifically hits very close to home. And today we have the wonderful, amazing and talented at Christopher's Lens, AKA Chris H here today who is a world-class renowned photographer videographer cinematographer editor chris would you like to introduce yourself today and tell the people a little more about you i think you actually killed it <laughs> so, <laughs> so hi everybody i'm chris head i am a commercial photographer cinematographer and i also own my own video production company called one faction studios and we just specialize in branded content and commercial campaigns and whatnot so what got you started in photography and video i grew up in washington dc in you know, low-income neighborhood Anacostia area in Southeast, just bouncing back between Ward 7 and Ward 8 because all my family lives all over Southeast. So basically, I was in this... I used to draw a lot of comics when I was younger, uh, and I used to just buy a whole bunch of composition books from the dollar store. I had five bucks, and I was like, I'm going to get this two-pack of gel ballpoint pens, and I'm just going to draw as many comics because I used to watch a lot of Inuyasha, a lot of stuff late mm. night and I used to just fill up the composition books. And then it got to a point where I got older and I got tired of drawing. I got tired of kids asking me, can you draw from draw this to me, <laughs> can you, this to me. And it got to a point where I was like, okay, this summer I got a summer job. Let me see what else like, you know, fills my heart, what makes me happy in my spare time. Cause I wasn't gaming anymore. I wasn't playing video games and I didn't like drawing anymore. So I worked hard enough and near the middle of the summer, I had some money and I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy a camera. So I bought a, a Sony camera. I walked around and I started taking photos and I started liking the feeling that I got from it. And it really got me out of the house, got me out of trouble and stuff like that. It was one of those things that was like community organizers would say like, oh, let's build a recreation center in this bad neighborhood because it keeps kids out of trouble. Like that's yeah. what photography was growing up. And it made me explore my own city more. And that's how I learned mm. about where I was, where I I could go where I couldn't go, <laughs> things like that. And I would go down to the National Mall, take photos, have my friends, you know, model for me and whatnot, and just just really learning that way. And that's what really got me into it. Just the freedom it gave me, it made me feel good. Wow. And one of the things I, I love about you is that you're also self-taught. And I think that's so inspiring about your story. So let's rewind a little bit. So we talked about how you got started in photography and and even branching into video, but something very similar was happening around that time in another parallel of your life. So since again, today's episode is about invisible disabilities. Tell us a little bit more about the first time you started even noticing symptoms, because I, I noticed I look on TikTok and things like that. There are a lot of people who are afraid to even ask their parents. So tell us a little bit about what being undiagnosed was like Oof. now that i look back at it it was very alarming even now like even since we've been together just looking back like three years later and looking at my health i was very malnourished it was hard for me to gain weight i've always had stomach pain and i would just like you know it's just certain things weren't working for me or sitting with me right and i never really had an appetite like that and even if i did eat it would hurt to eat so I mm. went through these phases of like some kinds of eating disorders or whatnot where I could eat 
everything in the house and then you know go days with only eating like once a day or not at all you know and just surviving off like a bottle of water just because sometimes it was painful to eat using the bathroom didn't feel good it just didn't make me feel good about myself so it was just like i didn't want to experience pain using the bathroom didn't want to experience pain eating and things like that it was weird to talk about because i had no clue what was going on so yeah that was life beforehand so like and you know and it was like people would be like oh you're really skinny now i'm just like well that's because i probably didn't get to eat today and i'm also at this time i'm also trying to play basketball like I'm playing mm. actually like at a at a public charter school playing basketball competitively and in, in all of that too at the same time so I'm like going from school from 5 a.m coming back home at 9 p.m barely eating mm. <laughs> working out full course you know full-time student and everything and hobby as photography at the same time <laughs> just malnourished <laughs> you know undiagnosed and that's a lot of like we we talk about duality on this show and just a lot of simultaneous realities right and people might have looked at you and you know made their own assumptions and i think the point you brought up is really really important about people saying wow you're so skinny when people make observations about you you didn't ask for i think sometimes unsolicited observations they're part of human nature but they can be a little bit harmful and neglectful if we look at what happened with chadwick boseman and people commenting on his weight And that's specifically one of the big reasons I wanted to do today's episode, because you might be exacerbating somebody's situation or feelings. So like from that point, you you clearly noticed that something was off, that you could look at your peers and say, okay, this isn't how it's supposed to be. So I know there's a stigma in especially like black families and stuff like that, or seeking help or having any type of chronic condition is kind of like taboo. So how did you approach this with your family and and expressing your symptoms? Were you believed at first or how'd that go? Well, luckily for me, I'm in a privileged situation where my mother has a, a master's degree in public health. So not only did were we, you know, that's, I consider her one of the closest people to me. She pays attention to me. Uh, she watches me throughout the day and she starts, you know, she she began to ask questions and I began mm-hmm. to answer them honestly because I it was in a place where I just could mm-hmm. not explain anything. I was like, I have no clue what's wrong with me. This is what's going on. And, she, you know, we went mm-hmm. to the hospital like as soon as possible. Like, you know, we were just going through as many tests as possible. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm lucky to have a parent that, you know, listens to me and, you know, made health a, a top priority. Like it, that was the first thing my mom would always tell me. He's like, if you don't feel well, we're going right to the <laughs> ER. Like it didn't matter if I had a stomach ache, a headache or anything. If I sneeze, she'd be like, you okay? You want to go to ER? And I'm like, no. I'm <laughs> That's funny because you carried that on. You do that to me too. Where like, oh, I mean, yeah. and, and I'm used to like the opposite where it's kind of like, you know, I feel well, drink some tea, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And you know, what's funny, I think it's also just like my family in general has always been like that where we instilled in each other. Like, we don't want to feel bad. Like we are the kind of family that will, you know, take care of you as you need, but we don't want to be, you know, taking care of you. Then we're working or something. And then this was more serious than it was supposed to be because we not we know we're not doctors. <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think having that weight is just a lot. It was like, I'd rather you go to the doctor now and let's see what's going on. So <laughs> Yeah, that's that's 
That's good. They said, I don't want to be responsible. And we yeah, know knowing nowadays, our limits. <laughs> you know, nowadays people say they have a close friend of my grandfather's, you know, having a headache and said, my head was pounding. He goes home and turns out he had an aneurysm. Oh, my goodness. You know, those things, are, you got to keep a close eye on them. Yeah. I say, if you feel like it's serious, it don't it just go. <laughs> just go. Because yes. that's exactly what I did with my mom. And that's how he's, you know, how I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Walk us through the process of diagnosis. Like, how long did it take? What did you feel when the doctor first told you? It was long, annoying, mm. and it, it was just a lot. Weeks before, I was having these terrible night sweats. And I'm not even afraid to share this. I was sweating all over the bed. I couldn't even hold in my bodily fluids. I was bleeding. And I was just like not holding my weight. And it just got to a point where my mom was like, we're going to the hospital as soon as possible. We go to the hospital, uh, they run tests and they had to do, you know, the scan of my stomach. And I had to drink a gallon of this clear fluid until I could not even breathe anymore. Like it was that bad. And then I had to lay down and get my whole stomach scanned. And that scan took about two hours. So I'm like sweating, just listening to one, 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 one for like mm -hmm. two hours. It was a lot, a lot of blood tests as well, and a lot of mm -hmm. scans and MRIs and stuff like that. So you would say that it took you how long? Like a full night, a week? Or... Yeah, about a day. Because I, I got there probably late in the evening, and then mm -hmm. I probably got diagnosed by like the next day and night at night. So probably like mm. about 12 to 18 hours just waiting around. Yeah, uh, waiting for those tests to come on. back is not fun, <laughs> especially when you're not feeling well. And then I guess I'll go ahead and do the big reveal. I found out that I had Crohn's disease when I was at Georgetown Medical Center in the GI unit. It, it made me really nervous at first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because this at this time when I was younger, they were still, but they were still doing a lot of ads for like HIV and a lot of, mm -hmm. and I think Ebola was going on at that time. It was just a lot of crazy stuff in the world that was going on at that time. And I had no clue what it could possibly have been. Mm -hmm. So when a doctor doctor came in my mom was there and he was like so let's just go ahead and you know everyone stay calm and then you know he told us I was like oh thank god I was like I'm not dying right he was like oh no 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 he's like but <laughs> if you went longer in life without getting any treatment yeah it could have and I was like so how where we go from here and he was like no, well this is a permanent thing like it doesn't go away this is a permanent thing you're gonna have to live with and of course with Crohn's disease there's a scale to it of severity and mine's is in the modern to severe uh, category. So I'm like in that middle gray area as of right now. Wow. I hope that uh, reassures people listening as well that sometimes it can be a lengthy process when, when your symptoms are, you know, maybe spread out or ambiguous. But for something like this, Chris was able to get that diagnosis after a full day in the ER. And I know everyone doesn't have the privilege or ability to go to the ER, but I hope it does illuminate that it is possible to get that answer when, when you're diligent and you go in, especially when you notice something big. Just to add to that as well, like because if people listening can't tell, Chris is my partner. So Crohn's, I, I learned a lot about Crohn's from wanting to make sure that I could be his advocate in the best way possible. So it's an autoimmune condition as well that Basically, his body kind of treats things he eats, certain things a lot more than others, but like almost like they're enemies to his uh, GI tract. And sometimes it causes like a lot of inflammation. And, you know, inflammation is the basis for a lot of other bullshit that like we can go through. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. exactly. So how has, you know, having Crohn's disease impacted your daily life? And 
walk us like through what a day could look like for you on a maybe more severe day versus a mild or moderate day. I have iliocolitis, which is in my ilium and also a little bit of my colon area, but Crohn's disease affects like your full GI tract. And so a severe day looks like for me is I lay in bed, it's hard for me to get out of bed. I face a lot of stomach cramps, like severe stomach cramps that are very painful. I get this sharp, like electrifying pain that mm -hmm. happens in my anus. Don't know why, but it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I also get aches in my bones sometimes and we're not sure if it's from the Crohn's or the medicine I'm taking because the medicine I take also are immunosuppressants as well. Some days also my eyesight is not as good. I get a lot of fatigue. So most of the days I'm pretty much bedridden unless, you know, I need mm -hmm. to use the bathroom in pain. So I'll just be back and forth brain fog most of the time. Also, a lot of people don't know that your GI tract has a, mm -hmm. a great connection to your mind as well. So sometimes emotionally, I don't do well. So that's why when I get checked up on as a Crohn's patient, they always ask me about depression, mm -hmm. uh, suicide and things like that. Any inflammation in your body can truly affect you in all aspects of your life. And I'm still learning that and I'm trying to work through it and you know make sure I'm good and that our relationship is good because I love you oh uh, thank you I love you too and that's pretty much what a severe day looks like I'm just bedridden terrible mm -hmm. bowel movements not really eating and then the brain fog it's just hard to make decisions I can't really do much definitely and then tell the people what a good day can look like oh for me a good day is I'm eating probably every two to three hours. <laughs> I'm eating every two sure? to three hours. I'm getting through all of my work with no issues. Mm -hmm. You you seen me like when me and Brie first moved to Los Angeles, this is a perfect example. I unpacked our whole a storage container in Literally. two hours Superman. max. <laughs> Superman. I just I had my white tank top on, my Nike tech shorts, my Nike Vapor Maxes on, and I was getting to it. My listen to Kevin Gates, and that's and I got I was able to do that <laughs> and get us settled in quickly. And those are the type of things I'm able to do and able to mm -hmm. provide for my partner and my family on days that I do feel well. Yeah, and and it is it's such a beautiful thing. As your partner, neither bothers me in any way. Like you know, because also being someone that does suffer from an invisible disability, I know what it can be like when you're not at your best and what what is needed. And so I think that's a, a beautiful balance that we tend to have. Is like we each kind of like pick up each other's slack because I think we both have that empathy for things that are out of our control, right? If it's something exactly. in your control. And and you neglect it. That's that's when you gotta pull pull it to the side and be like, hey, let me talk to you real quick. But yeah, exactly. One thing I really enjoy is like when when you're having like a you know a really tough day, making breakfast or something like that. You know, and I think having that help can make a big difference too. Yeah, for sure. I think mm -hmm. you know having supportive people like you, my mother, and even even your mm -hmm. parents are very Aww. supportive of of, of my Crohn's. You know, your mom gave me the aloe vera juice and stuff like that, and just having. Mm -hmm that is just a tremendous help and helps me keep going to you know do what i do what i need to do and want mm -hmm. to do back to how crohn's affects my mental health as well mm -hmm. if i didn't have a people you know people family and friends supporting um my invisible disability you know yeah. who knows you and know even observation be. like observation is a huge thing and i'm speaking to now friends and family if you 
know somebody uh, that has an invisible disability whom you're close to and care about, or even if you're not close to them. One of the things I do a lot with Chris is I observe him, you know, not not in a creepy way, you know, <laughs> watching you walk away, but <laughs> I observe him, you know, just like throughout the days, because I know how it can be with yourself. When you see yourself every day, you don't notice things changing as much. But if I notice that, let's say Chris is putting on some weight, I'll like, which is a good, really good thing for a Crohn's patient, I'll be like, yo, let me keep track of what he's been eating and doing. Because, you know, sometimes if you're not feeling well, it's hard to keep track of certain things. And we do that together. But of course, if it's a time where he's down and out, I, I'll make sure to like pick up on that and, and try to just ask him probing questions, even if he's not down for it. Because I'm like, you know, I know how it is when y'all get in that doctor's office and y'all just be like, dang, I forgot everything. So it's nice to have like that little notes app moment where I just pull it up and be like, nope, nope. On, on the 15th, you said that you were feeling this. And he'd be like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if this is a privilege or not, but I am privileged to have a very great partner in general. Like Bree's been keeping track of all my symptoms and everything I've been going through since we've been together, since I first told her I had Crohn's disease, which is crazy in itself because she showed me this. Uh, she showed me how long the list was like a couple days ago and was just scrolling down this note app. And I'm like, she's had the same note app since like, what, 2016, 2017, 2016? And I'm just like, well, yeah. why? Uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and, you know, and again, like that kind of support is what people with invisible disabilities need. Absolutely. And talk about support. And thank you, first of all, you know, I, I do what I can. So, so we talked about invisible disabilities in terms of like, you know, support. But let's talk about something that me and you, we definitely rant about this from time to time. I'm going to ask it as though I don't know, but have you experienced, we sure do, we be ranting it up, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, have you had any negative experiences around your invisible disability as far as other people? So like the anti-advocate, I would say probably, whether it be strangers or people you know, in regards to your disability not being outwardly visible to them. You know, what's crazy is the only, the only thing that I've had happen is people commenting on my weight and size because I am a six foot four guy and I, you know back then I was I was much thinner but I also get you know I just fluctuated in my weight a lot and when people you know would comment you know oh you're skinny or you know whatever they didn't know that's the other issue on the dark side about having invisible disability you don't want to tell people I didn't tell people so no one mm-hmm. knew they thought they were just commenting on my image, and that's a whole nother t- a topic in itself. Where you just, you know, people think it's okay <laughs> yeah. to tell people that they're skinny or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really didn't have any uh, negative interactions because I was mm-hmm. working so hard to make people think I was normal, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote normal. That yeah. I, I could, I didn't subject myself to that. You know, I didn't want mm-hmm. to subject myself to people saying negative things or anything like that. I'm gonna make sure I got it all together before I go to school and before I go to work and I should be okay. And I think another reason Mm -hmm. why I haven't experienced anything too, not that much negative around me having Crohn's disease is because my disability is more prominent in 
quite frankly, white people. But yeah, uh, even from the people that I told who were white that I mm-hmm. uh, was working for at the time, I got good responses because they're like, oh yeah, my cousin has that. You know oh, what wow. I mean? wow, yeah. You know, I get the, oh, yeah, I feel so sorry for you. But it doesn't really go anywhere after that. They don't, you know, yeah. throw me a pity party or nothing. They just mm-hmm. give me the, you know, their empathy or their sympathy or whatever. And then mm-hmm. we'll move past it with no questions asked. So, you know, yeah. I've, I've been okay in that aspect. I haven't no one has made me feel bad about it other than for me not saying anything. Yeah. Oh, I have one instance to point out for you, though, that you might not have thought about with with. No, it's totally fine. Like, literally, we talked about, you know, people that you know and have worked with. We haven't mentioned strangers. And you you're you're a holder of a handicap placard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So y'all. y'all got me a handicap pass and I will use, I bust that thing out anywhere. I do not care. I need, so I need my access as, you know. So basically what happened was as a person with Crohn's disease, I was subject to taking a steroids early on in my, um, before the treatment advanced to see how my body was reacting and what I need. It was just to basically to hold mm-hmm. me over. I don't know why they would use steroids to hold me over, but that was the course of action for that time. I started experiencing a vascular necrosis, which is obviously the blood vessels in your bones dying. And I had surgery, both of my hips, and I could not walk for a whole year. And that was Mm -hmm. at my actually senior year of high school. So I couldn't even play my senior year of basketball. I had to, you know, leave all that behind, throw all that away, just because at that time, Crohn's Mm -hmm. disease impacted my life to a point where I had to have double hip surgery at the age of 18. And, and at that time, and you know, what's funny now that I think about it, the responses that I got at that time was, oh, you so young to be having hips. So, you know, mm-hmm. mostly from older people, you're too young to have hip surgery. I'm like, well, I don't, you know. It's not in your control. Also, I wanted to say, because, you know, you're pretty open about this. Would you be comfortable telling the people what steroid they had you on? Because I know there's blogs and blogs about this specific drug that and just to be frank y'all it caused his necrosis this is this wasn't just a a happenstance thing that particular drug actually has a side effect of literal bone death which is absurd to me so the steroid they had me taking was the devil itself prednisone like (laughs) i was on prednisone and the crazy part was i was playing basketball uh just practicing before the season started and it was i was experiencing this severe pain in my groin. I'm talking about I couldn't even walk out to practice. I had friends like have to carry me after practice. Oh my gosh. I was lifting weights. I was, you know, running miles and miles and working out playing basketball and stuff like that. And I was like, I think I was like 195, almost 200 pounds at that time. But I was having these severe leg pains and I was like, you know, what? I'm just gonna pop. You know, I looked at the Advil and I was like, okay, I could take like six max. And I was like, Popping like six Advil, get through this workout. Soon as they wore off, could not walk. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So after that, just not, uh, just doing my best to be quote unquote normal. Yeah. uh, And try to hide what's going on with me. I ended up having, you know, I could have said something earlier, but again, and mind you, all of this was, and this was going on literally after I got diagnosed. And I just was not thinking that, oh, it could be something going on with my Crohn's because I'm still not letting people know at school yet people you know other people just know about what's going on with me to a point where i like blamed it on my workouts not (laughs) the medicine i was taking at the time point i was thinking about this when you said 
that you uh, were hesitant to tell people. I think that disclosure and things like that are something that people with invisible disabilities deal with that struggle a bit more because when you have a disability that involves per se like a, a walking aid like a, a cane a crutch a wheelchair a walker um, of any kind people are a lot more likely or even if you have a prosthetic right there's no need to necessarily go into extensive disclosure because people can look at you and already piece you know two and two together for for the most part they you know might make some assumptions about the severity or what has put you there right but but when you have an invisible disability it's called masking when you attempt right. to mask your disability to appear quote unquote i, I don't even want to say average right but like you, just like you don't have a disability at all and masking as you've seen with what you just said can lead to forms of self-harm in a way because you're you sometimes you put yourself in jeopardy yeah and i feel like as someone too with with adhd and someone who masked for a very long long time i was putting myself in some very dangerous situations to mask i i remember telling you about the time i was hallucinating in college because i hadn't slept in almost 96 hours yeah and that was scary to hear because <laughs> i was like babe i can't go <laughs> you know you know me how i sleep so i was just i couldn't imagine going through that yeah, and that's what uh, it's funny because a lot of people might see someone not sleeping for that amount of time and think they're on drugs. Like, oh, think, oh, you're on stimulants, right? And I'm like, no, that's me undiagnosed and unmedicated, especially during high stress situations. I said, or if I was going through extreme procrastination with my ADHD, I would legit forego sleep in order to still show up with that assignment in the folder on time. And I know pulling an all-nighter is something that a lot of people have to do, right? Like, you, everyone, everybody's had to pull an all-nighter at some point for some reason or another. But I knew there was a deeper issue when I was literally willing myself to not sleep in order because I was just so frightened at the thought of people thinking I was inadequate in some way. And that's something that's huge in the invisible disability community is, like, shame is a topic that people don't cover a lot but feeling like you might not get hired or people will pity you and, and treat you different when it's like, I'm different, but I'm not inadequate, you know? Yeah, and I think that's the and that's the crazy part about it too. It's like, and, and I was just thinking about how the term invisible disability, like it's not even, like I was scared to disclose, like when I used to work part-time and full-time jobs, I was scared to disclose I had Crohn's disease because, you know, I thought, mm -hmm. you know, maybe one, it wasn't even an option to put that on there, first of all, on the thing. But it was like, mm -hmm. if I put that on there, you know, will I even get the job? You know what I mean? It's yep. just certain things like, do they think this is, you know, a disability, you know, that is worth giving someone like me a shot or not? So I go mm. into, you know, just like I'm just going to play it normal. And if a situation, a dire issue comes up, we just got to pray I don't get fired. You know what I mean? Uh, and that's how I was operating. And then just to go back on the point, too, of people need to know why, because I, I, I'm pretty sure people are like, why does he get a, a, you know, a disability, you know, a handicapped parking placard? I get this placard because of one, the, the double hip surgery that I have, I cannot stand or walk for, you know, super long hours. Like, I, you won't, you know, and even if I do, I need to be able to sit down 
and, you know, relax as much as possible. Because again, the procedure that I had, they literally drilled holes into my leg. So if you think of a tape, you know, a leg on a chair, if you drill a hole into that leg on the chair and you sit on it a little bit too rough, it might snap in half. So yeah. that was kind of like what like what my hips was going through at that time. And I'm still going through like, you know, physical therapy. You helped me with like giving me stretches and things like that that I mm-hmm. usually try to do in times where it doesn't feel well. But also another point of reasons why I, another reason why. I got my handicap placard is because I have Crohn's disease. I have to be able to honestly reach a bathroom quickly or just be able to take myself home to take care of myself uh, as soon as possible. If a flare arises, yep. If, if I have a flare or anything too. like that. And it could be very sudden. There's no like, you know, and you know, just knowing me, you know, knowing myself, I can predict when that's going to happen when I, based yeah. on how I'm feeling or mm-hmm. if I ate something or you know, whatever has been going on for the past day or week or hours, even I could probably try to guess like this might be my reaction soon or something like that. Yeah. But some days like I could be eating my healthiest and mm-hmm. and it still you know, happen. And it'll just happen. Like I can't and, really do anything ooh, that much about it. That just brought up a really good point when you said I could be eating my healthiest. That's another thing that I don't think people consider in in disabilities. I looked on the .gov site, which we'll we'll attach links and everything in the show description, y'all. But mm-hmm. I looked on the .gov site at the full list of what is considered invisible disabilities covered under the uh, Disabilities Act that was instated in the United States, and one of them is food allergies, right? Not necessarily like intolerances, but but a full, you know, food allergies that involve like anaphylaxis and things like that are listed. And so what you just brought up about, oh, I could be eating my healthiest, something I notice people do to you all the time that I just want to point out to people listening that this might not be the most appropriate thing to do. If someone refuses a food item, it's not your place to ask why. Because yep. there are certain things that Chris can't have that are very healthy, that are very tasty. That, and, and some people might think, oh, you have Crohn's, so I'm offering you this healthy thing. Like, you can't process, what is it, lettuce? Lettuce is hard I on your stomach, eat, corn. I can't really eat raw foods. I can't, nothing really with shells. So I can't eat, like, you won't catch me eating, like, a bag of almonds. You won't catch me <laughs> eating celery, because it's, and it's also a negative calorie, too. It causes more energy just to even eat it. But that's why I really don't like celery like that. But yeah, celery, anything really leafy. I can't really eat anything leafy if it's in its mm-hmm. raw form. So it has to be cooked down, and even then it has yeah. to be extremely cooked down to some point where it's not nutritional you know it's not even that beneficial to me once it's cooked down yeah it's not that nutrient dense for me so and that's another thing like i remember having to even get on some of my followers because they were like i just don't understand like because i also have anaphylactic allergy and so we eat some things that do align with the vegan diet but we're not vegan and some people are like i just don't understand why you don't just cut like go vegan or like you should go vegan and pressuring people to go vegan is not always the most appropriate either because with chris what he said about like raw certain raw whole foods he cannot have unless they're cooked cooked down and you know with certain whole foods once you cook them down certain nutritional benefits are gone right and you have someone that that has difficulty keeping up their appetite and has stomach pains and things so Naturally, if you cut out some of the high calorie proteins that are from animal proteins from his diet, 
Chris would essentially be malnourished and that would be very dangerous. And a lot of people want to say like protein powders, but a lot of protein powders on the market are also inflammatory to him. So it's like, you know, if, if, if we could, we would, you know, and I think that's a lot of things with people. People don't need a lot of convincing for things they want to do, right? And so I think also like people will literally poke and prod and try to peer pressure you to eat something. And it, what that does sometimes is it forces disclosure. So if somebody says they no thank you, they don't want something, they don't eat something, yeah. don't pry <laughs> and, and yeah. pressure them. Don't pry and treat it like, a, you know, just treat it like an allergy. Like if, I, I kind of, that's another pet peeve I have with me and you go to restaurants and they're like, mm -hmm. is it an allergy or is it an intolerance? And I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like if I told you I can't have this, then mm -hmm. treat it as if I can't have it, period. Don't let nothing touch it. Don't let, you yeah. know, don't cook it with the same spatula, you know, mm -hmm. as something and else it's like, that I can't have. Just don't do And it. restaurants, they explain why they do that, which they're like, oh, if something is, you know, an allergy, we have to use new everything, new that. But honestly, if somebody tells me they have an intolerant, like if you're running an establishment, do you really want people getting sick? At, like getting sick at an establishment is like the biggest mm -hmm. anti-ad you can ever have. Like when people, yeah. I go on, on Google, Yelp reviews, and someone's like, food made me sick. Even if they say I got a stomachache after, I'd be like, never mind. Like it's the biggest turnoff. So if someone says they, they cannot eat something, and and it's just simply like they cannot have it it can't touch anything whatever just honor it because it's better be safe than than sorry you know all inclusive restaurants are the way people <laughs> <laughs> i 100 percent agree like don't I say you're a vegetarian vegan restaurant and you just serving salads like that's not okay Ooh, <laughs> preach, preach. that's not that okay. is a that's huge point the, kind of inclusivity we talking about <laughs> exactly because Sadly. i think a uh, part of even ableism around invisible disabilities is assumptions you know mm -hmm. assuming because i can look at you and and make visual distinctions that what i assume is right and that even brings me back to the handicap pass because we get the dirtiest looks y'all i'm talking about we are a couple with two well technically one two like how many a couple invisible disabilities amongst each of us right and so we we both it's not even just one or the other so sometimes we'll even trade off driving and everything like that and i you know i gotta trade off because like maybe chris needs to get home fast or something and vice yeah, versa like, yeah, this is a perfect example so i i shot a tv pilot for paramount paramount yeah shot a tv pilot for paramount for viacom or whatever i worked literally 15 hours camera operating to a point where my breeze saw my legs were shaking. shaking i could not even stand anymore and i definitely couldn't drive <laughs> so she ended up you know helping me out and driving in situations like that or you know i had to catch an uber or something like that just because mm -hmm. i cannot drive like that i could become a danger to everybody else around me you know, mm -hmm. and that's not okay either. <laughs> exactly. So, like, even if you see a couple with a placard and then you see one person driving one day, one the other, you don't know who the caregiver is. You don't know if it's both of them. So, yep. essentially, the, the moral of the story that's coming with a lot of these podcast episodes is mind your business. Yeah. <laughs> mind your business. Just literally. Respectfully. If you're not contributing, mind your business. And literally, I wanted to give an anecdotal story for y'all too. I saw this story on Twitter, I believe, but it circulated for a while just to give you perspective about why you should mind your business. Okay. 
about the woman and i'm so sorry i don't remember her name i saw this story years ago and she literally went into a store and she parked in the handicapped spot and she was in her like you know 20s 30s i want to say like early 30s and literally she came back out of the store to a note on her windshield y'all that said shame on you for abusing this system when there are people who you know truly need these handicapped spaces like you should be ashamed of yourself and left her this really nasty note and she posted this to her personal account on twitter i don't think she knew it was going to go that viral but she posted the note on her car and then the close-up so you could read it and she said i got this nasty note on my car today and she said i am a stage four cancer patient and i was running in the store quickly to just grab something to like i think eat or drink and so if that mortifies you as much as it mortifies me then mind your business if you see somebody park in a handicapped space they have that placard for a reason and if they're abusing the system that is not your jurisdiction to be the judge jury or executioner on you know what i'm saying treat everyone you see in them spaces as though you know they have a disability period and you know we won't have no problems couldn't have said it better Poof. Yes. So with that note, I wanted to ask you just how can employers, family and friends advocate for you and what makes you feel seen? Oh, that's a really good question. Thank you. Ooh. Let me get the second. Well, I guess I'll start. I guess I say start off with employers because in honesty, those are the in my honest opinion, I think those are the most inflammatory people when when we talk about invisible no pun disability. Intended. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like those are the most inflammatory people is literally the people you work with. Your bosses, your managers, your teammates, those people who work with you at your job are the people who really, you know, don't treat you the best when you advocate for yourself when you have a disability. Uh, and the best thing I can I can really say is they just hear what you're saying and just abide by that. And I think also I think we got to do is just set boundaries and things like that as people with invisible disabilities and let people know like, hey, this is my disability. This is what works. This is what doesn't work. As you see, Brie, like one of the, like I'll even give an example. I literally just got in the mail not too, a couple months ago, a card mm -hmm. from the Crohn's and Colitis organization. They sent me a card that just like on the Joker, if y'all seen the movie, yep. the Joker, I have a card that I could like pull out and be like, I have a disability and excuse me, like out of my way, whatever needs to have that I need to do. This mm. is it. So, you know, that's a huge get out deal. Of the way. And, I, and I would definitely encourage anyone who has an invisible disability that is recognized. Look at for those resources so you can make sure I had what I need to make sure mm -hmm. people respect what I have to say and mm -hmm. respect my boundaries as a person with an invisible disability. And that is my handicap placard that I'm happy to have so I can get in and out of places when I'm not feeling well. Just take those resources, create that boundary and make your employers families and friends do what they have to do so you can live your life because no one's going to do it unless you make them that's just the sad part about having invisible disability when it's not recognized you got to make people see you you may make people see it make it visible for them and with that note i wanted to also point out the americans with disabilities act of 1990 never be ashamed to you know throw that on on the table when you are experiencing any kind of either workplace discrimination or just a lack there of your needs and rights as an employee. Cause I think that's so huge. And 
One thing I even had to do with people, and for some reason this worked. I'm not saying an anybody should do this. I'm not even saying this is the most appropriate thing, y'all. But I feel like disability, as they've defined it, is literally an ongoing or chronic mental or physical or emotional challenge that you endure. It's not a level of adequacy, right? So with that being said, I see a lot of our you know, disabilities that are on the chart as their own individual struggle. But I've even asked people sometimes, hey, imagine you saying the same thing to someone in a wheelchair, which is the most one of the most recognized disabilities, right? And then when you repeat back some of the things that people said, no, you're capable. I said, would you say that to someone in a wheelchair if the assignment is literally running up steps or something, you know what I mean? Mm. When that person yeah, needs tell a them ramp. lift a hundred pound box or something like that, you know, or, like, or just general, general needs that you have, you know, I'm not necessarily just stuck on, you know, physical, but sometimes when I, I encourage employers to, to think, you know, before they say something or do something when they have an employee with an invisible disability, if their, if their disability was visible, would I be okay with how I'm treating them, with how I'm honoring their needs as an employee, et cetera, right? Because if you're, if you're someone who is, let's say, paraplegic and an establishment refuses to build a ramp or a special entrance for you, you can sue that establishment, right? And and there's, a, I think, a certain fear around looking inconsiderate, right? And so when people fear looking inconsiderate, I think that's where the lack of empathy for invisible disabilities come because when you're inconsiderate to someone with an invisible disability, it's very, it's very snakish. You know what I'm saying? It's very whispered. It's very, very much an undertone. So that's what makes non I guess non-subtle advocacy makes people feel so like oh, I can't believe you're upset with me right now you know what I mean but it's like I think that's something that a lot of people might be able to relate to is just how I guess uh sly or slick some of the things are you know when, when we try to advocate for ourselves I think that that's important and then also if you have the ability to and a place is not respecting your disability file a complaint and leave you know, I think that's really huge. Just making sure you people milk all the resources they can and find the help. Uh, I can tell people right now, I grew up in, you know, in a low income area and I could not afford to go to college. And one of those things about, you know, advocating for myself mm -hmm. with my invisible disability, I was able to get a scholarship for my disability to go to school. Um, mm -hmm. And it's called Rehabilitation Services Administration. It's, it's, it's a D.C. government organization that um, specializes in helping people with disabilities like me, mm -hmm. um, you know, be successful and help. And they was like, if that means paying for college or whatever it may be, that's what we're going to do. And that's what they did. And that's how I got my scholarship to school to, to go to school without worrying about money. Uh, just those kinds of things. You got to advocate for yourself, mm. advocate for yourself and look for those resources. Like I go to the Crohn's and colitis.org website. Anytime I have a question about anything, anything. That I, that's just new or you point something out, Brie, when you, when you see something, I was like, Oh wait, no. Okay. That's normal. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yep. you know, there's nothing. Yep. It'd be know, a new study or something. And I'd be like, no, no, that's, that's a symptom. 
but yeah. that's that's so good that you pointed that out and i think for listeners as well as advocates and and you know anyone who's still with us like one important thing that i think is you know myself is the next step and i'm hoping you know this might be a step for chris as well is finding a community with people that have a similar disability as you. There are Facebook groups. There's so many different ways online to engage. But I eventually want to, uh, you know, now that we're starting to be back outside and stuff, and now that we both fully vaccinated AA, I want to be Dang. able to, like, attend an actual group or have, like, a support group or something that, that I guess, helps because sometimes with invisible disabilities, no pun intended, you kind of feel invisible. Like you feel like a whole piece of yourself is not represented. And I think every time I meet somebody with ADHD or with, remember we were at the ER and and a nurse said, my son has that same allergy you have. Yeah, and I was protein just- Protein allergy, crazy. Yep. And I, and, but the thing is with that allergy, a lot of people think I mean lactose intolerant. So, you know, saying my symptoms and her saying my son gets exactly that. I was just- the, the validation you feel amongst people that can relate to you is unmatched. So, yeah. And I think we need yeah. to dive in. And again, speaking on that part of like looking for resources, I think that's our next step. So we're going to look for something for you to have mm -hmm. with you. Uh, you know, when we start traveling and stuff like that, because I tell you that card or just having something like mm -hmm. I even like people, I even have a, a form. I have forms signed by my doctors saying like, this is my diagnosis. So if there is any question about what I am going through and people are trying to see if, if, you know, if I'm legit, I will pull it up on my phone. You know, yep. from the iCloud and be like, this is signed mm -hmm. by my doctor at Cedar sinai This is signed by my doctor at Georgetown, you know, GI. Like, <laughs> chill out. <laughs> and if you're flying, that's another thing I had to learn the hard way, um, you know, with, with my allergy. So I was coming from Heathrow. This was back in 2019 before the panoramic pandemic. You know what I mean, y'all. The Panda Express. <laughs> the Panini. So anyway, the Panda Replay. But anyway, <laughs> so I was coming back to the states from Heathrow, which is noted, and I'm putting you on blast, Heathrow, one of the most racist and ableist airports in the world. So literally, I was flying back and I encountered both racism and ableism and sexism all at the same time from this employee. I did file, I stopped y'all. You know how it is when you get through security and you just wanna get on the plane and chill and stuff. I risked missing my international business class flight. Y'all know that's Brit to file this complaint. That's how upsetting it was. Basically, long story short, the agent that was there pulled me aside. First thing he said is, I thought you'd be a troublemaker. Red flag number one. I was like, here we go. At the end of this encounter, which lasted like 15, 20 minutes, and I think 45 in total for me to get all my stuff back together, he threw away all of my snacks, right? And so there are certain snacks that are approved to put on your carry-on. And one of my favorite things to travel with, and if you have a food allergy, I learned this from someone with celiac. So she literally said, hey, those baby food pouches, the squeezy tubes, are good for taking with you, right? So I brought those, and y'all, they're see-through. They're clear. They're sealed. You know what I'm saying? And the guy said, you don't have a baby with you. And I'm like your airport policy says I don't need to have a baby with me as long. And he was like, well, your allergy needs to be documented. I said, I have the documents on my phone. 
literally I have a one that I could pull up right now that has has the labs, it has everything to show you that I have this food allergy. And he said, I don't care about your note. And he dumped out all of my snacks, y'all. And guess what they had on the plane? Things I was allergic to for my 11 hour flight to New York and then my following flight. You know, you know when you go through customs and you have a connecting, you you can't really get like a ton of food because it's like you're hitting foot to get, customs is its own little battle. So I ended up basically essentially living off of like apple juice on the plane and water pretty much the entire flight. And even when she was gonna bring me crackers, there was milk protein in the crackers. So like, you just yeah. can't chance it. And I didn't have an EpiPen at the time. So literally, y'all, just a little tip of advice before we close out here. If you have an invisible disability, you know, and anything related, get a hard copy, like a printed out copy of whatever you need, your lab, a signed doctor's note, anything that you have mm. that you can make a copy of, make that, put it in a little folder envelope. I've seen someone do this at the airport and tell the TSA agent, hey, I have medical documents here that cannot go through the scanner. I've seen people do it with medicine. There's certain medicine that can't go through the x-ray. Yeah, it'll you see ruin me, it. yeah, I travel with my cooler with, for yeah. my medicine, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the agent has to, uh, they have to take it uh, outside. They can't scan it through anything and they have to just individually open it and everything. So I would say advocate for your, your hard copy of your documents because in that case, I had my docs on my phone. But guess where your phone is? In the scanner, in the possession of the very people you need to show the documents to. And even though I had already gone through security, he'd already searched my bag, he would not allow me to go on my phone. He would not give me my phone. So that's something else I would say just to make, you know, now that travel might be ramping up in the next few months, um, something for y'all, just another piece of advice. But I hope that this was a very helpful episode to some and that you might be able to relate a little bit to either of us, even if you don't necessarily have what we have, that just the experience alone is something you can either empathize with or you know, you might know somebody that has one and it gave you more insight into their story. So Chris, can you tell people where they can follow you online on your socials to support your photography and your art? Yeah, so everyone can follow me at Christopher's Lens on Instagram. So K-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S Lens on Instagram. And then also uh, my video production company, we just got an Instagram. So you can also follow us at 1F Studios uh, on Instagram as well. And we'll be dropping uh, some great content coming soon and some commercial work we've been able to get done. Uh, so you'll be seeing some posts from us soon and any upcoming things. So yeah, definitely hit us up if you want to work with us as well. Awesome. And also uh, your website is ChristopherSLens.com. Uh, FYI as well. If y'all want to see any of his reels or his work as well. I think you have a beautiful story. So I think, you know, it deserves to be told in its entirety. So the way we usually, and y'all know what time it is. We have a tradition here on the Count to 10 podcast where since we do dive into some deep topics, we have our funny moments, but we also get into some things that are a bit heavier. We like to reach our new equilibrium here and rebalance out, you know, all of these emotions and things by having 10 seconds of silence. So Chris, are you down to have a moment of silence with me for some breath work? Yes, for sure. All right, everybody. So as I always do as a disclaimer, if you are in a car, don't close your eyes. We need your eyes on the road. But if you're in the safety of your own environment, you know, get cozy, get comfortable, you know, 
straighten your posture out, rotate your neck a little bit, shrug your shoulders, and all right, we're going to get started now. All right, deep breath in and out. Deep breath in and out. Last one, deep breath in and out. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into the Count to 10 podcast. It has been a pleasure. I will see you on the next episode. As usual, we say go fuck shit up. Take care of the things you need to do today. Be nice to someone. Mind your business. And we will see you slash you'll be hearing us in the next episode.